we are all connected. We are all humans. And I think that's what for me is so powerful in terms of my why for why I do this work Mm. is what we find in the pages of these journals and how from six-year-old kids to people facing sobriety issues to people who are dealing with things in a hospital, like losing parents or children to inmates that, you know, we are all really so connected in terms of our human experience and that nature can bring that out in people because it's sort of the great equalizer. It's just, it's there and it's, it doesn't think about your politics or it doesn't care about if you got enough likes on social media that day, it doesn't care about any of those things. It just accepts you for who you are and a little more acceptance would go a long way. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. This week, we welcome special guest Alden Stoner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Playful Podcast. Really excited to bring you this week's episode, which we have timed to land this week right before Earth Day and in celebration of Mother Earth. And the person you're going to meet on the podcast today, Alden Stoner, is the CEO of Nature Sacred. And their work really is to get people closer to the planet by giving them opportunities to interact with each other in vibrant outdoor spaces. So Nature Sacred creates pocket parks around the country, and it does so after community members have reached out and said they want to have such a thing in their community. And they take advantage of Nature Sacred's decades of experience, which has produced templates and design processes and also a foundation that has financial support available so these communities can bring these parks to life, whether it be a playground or a horseshoe pit or a fairy garden or a labyrinth or a bench tucked into some beautiful wildflowers. All of these things, whatever it is that the community has dreamt up, they approach Nature Sacred and they help them make it happen. So happy Earth Day and thank you, Alden and Nature Sacred, for what you do. Take a listen, folks. I know you'll be inspired. Ooh, so Alden, I love the statistic around a 10-minute walk to green space in urban settings. Could you tell us all a little bit about the sacred places that you've created in institutional settings? You mentioned University of Maryland, so there's academic settings. Also, I believe hospitals and even some prisons. And I think bringing play into a, a setting where people are locked up and they can't leave, how can you bring in a little oasis of joy and play and respite. I'd love to hear about your experience with that. Yeah. So we have the great benefit of working with a variety of different kinds of institutions. And you're right. We have universities and schools. We work with a slew of nonprofits and municipalities, as well as hospitals, which is a really great one as well that can incorporate some real play for kids. And some of our sacred places do that very thing through water and through other elements. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, we have just a couple in prisons, but they are very powerful. And the one that I often think of is the sacred place at Western Correctional Institute, where this isn't particularly play, but, you know, folks in there are often vulnerable, right? But they have lives on the outside. They have people who got married, who die, who whatever, go through life. And they need places and safe places to celebrate that, honor that, take a moment for themselves. And so in the charrette process or the design workshop, the community-led design workshop, some of the inmates talked about needing a space for that. 
And the design advisor, the landscape architect for that project came up with this idea of the well of unspoken truths. Mm. And so they created this 20 foot deep, very small well that people could write pieces of paper and put it all the way down so that no one could access it. No one could know what was going on in people's lives, but they could write that, release it out into the world. And I think that's a really powerful way to honor, access joy, you know, find different ways to be the full humans that we all are, no matter our place and station in life. And that's a much older space that's 20 or so years old. The warden who approached us around creating that sacred place then said, these are folks who will be your neighbors. And it's true. We are all connected. We are all humans. And I think that's what for me is so powerful in terms of my why for why I do this work Mm. is what we find in the pages of these journals and how from six-year-old kids to people facing sobriety issues to people who are dealing with things in a hospital, like losing parents or children to inmates that, you know, we are all really so connected in terms of our human experience and that nature can bring that out in people because it's sort of the great equalizer. It's just, it's there and it's, it doesn't think about your politics or it doesn't care about if you got enough likes on social media that day, it doesn't care about any of those things. It just accepts you for who you are and a little more acceptance would go a long way. I love it. The well made me think of my firm impactful does retreat facilitation. And one of the activities I've incorporated. I have used a paper shredder if that's available if we're in some sort of an office setting. And more recently, we just used our hands and ripped up paper. But at the beginning of the session, I asked everyone to write down their biggest hope for the time together and their biggest worry about the time together. And then we either shredded them or tore them up into little pieces and put them in a communal basket and set that in the middle of the table and honored that in our time together, all that was happening. It was clearly anonymized because it was all shredded up and you wouldn't be able to piece it back together. So people felt the comfort to be honest and then to look and see, oh gosh, I don't know what anybody else around the table might've said, but they had an answer to that, what they were hopeful for, what they were worried about. And we put that in the middle of the room and, um, and, and it reminds me of that ability to, to write it and discard and put forward to be releasing it into the spirit world. So that made me think of that. I want to mention about Dr. Brown again, his book on play. I was I was reading the other day and he was saying that many of us, and this is going to be an age, there's some denominator here. I'm not sure where it is exactly, but many of us grew up when we played outside kind of until like our mom told us to come in. There was sort of that general feeling of, you know, get in, come back before it gets dark or even the classic thing, you'll see this, I think, displayed in movies, you know, where the mom is like literally old school, standing on the porch and calling the kids in. Now, I want to acknowledge that might bespeak, no, I don't know. I was going to say it might bespeak a certain amount of privilege or a certain amount of, but I don't know. It might just be, a, it was a time, it was a time in, in American society, at least, that, so, and he's talking about in the book, Dr. Brown was talking about how as kids today are more shuttled from activity to activity or perhaps live in a place where it isn't safe to play outside then all other kinds of reasons, that's not this free, unstructured, kid-centered and kid-led play is, is less available. Although he talked about, he thinks even kids that like at a, you know, a little league or an AYSO game on the sidelines when they start goofing around, 
that is their way to get some of that energy out when the coach isn't looking or their parents aren't right on top of them. I wonder what your experience is with how these play spaces can create maybe that setting for unstructured play and creation. Oh yeah. Unstructured play is so critical and you're absolutely right that it isn't happening now as much. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. But what we found in the sacred places and by virtue of them being community led, it's the community that helps bring them together. And then they determine what is sacred to them. And this happens with kids and this also happens with adults. So we actually have a new sacred place that's going to come online this year at a school and the kids really were adamant that there's some kind of fairy element and it's affiliated with the lower school and the little school. And so they're going to have a little fairy garden in addition to the larger sacred place. Then there is a sacred place in Baltimore called Bliss Meadows, an area that had virtually no green space around it. And this woman who's the fire soul, which is the moniker we give for these community leaders, she's amazing. She's a nurse that has turned into executive director on this, wanted to create safe green spaces for their community. And it's largely a community of color who don't have access to this. And they're just the most beautiful pictures of these kids playing with bubbles in that space. And there's goats and there's chickens. And so they're doing a totally different kind of thing. So they're able to do that unstructured play, but in a place that is sort of designated, sanctioned as a safe place that also doesn't have a fence, by the way. So, you know, it's designated safe by the community. That's a really important piece, but it's also important for adults too. And one of the places that I think so often of is a sacred place also in West Baltimore called Kirby Lane Park. And it used to be basically an open space after a building came down, you know, so there was concrete and dust and nothingness, right? And very little, there was one tree in the way back and that was it. And so the gentlemen would gather after work and play horseshoes. They'd stand around and have some beers and play horseshoes. And then when community partner, Bon Secours Community Works came in and said, hey, you know, what about a green space? And we were small part of that effort, they sort of didn't totally know or believe that it was for them. And we're like, no, no, what's interesting to you? What's sacred for you? You know, all that. And they said, well, horseshoes. And they said, well, great, let's make a horseshoe pit. And so there is this beautiful horseshoe pit in the center of Kirby Lane Park. There's meanwhile, like a kid's play area. So the kids can play with the adults play and, and it's in what's called a serenity garden. So there's another area where you can sit and be more contemplative. So these things can all coexist and really bring out the best of us and just be a place to unleash our best selves. Because if we have these moments of joy, play, rest, we can be a better version of ourselves as we go out into the world. Love it. All right. I'm always looking for the segue to ice cream. And I'm just going to say that was our segue to ice cream. So, <laughs> Love it. If your ice cream is close by or you need to go get it. My ice cream is close by and I have a little heart spoon. Oh my goodness. Hey, I like, just, does this indicate tiny, anything? I like tiny spoons. I like everything mini. And so I chose the heart because I, that's how I feel about you and that I'm bringing my heart to this conversation. Okay. So folks, we are, this is the first episode where we're trying different brands, but same flavor. 
So we're both having a mint chip or mint chip adjacent. Mine's called Fresh Mint Patty, which is intriguing. Ooh, and that's cool. We're each representing a bicoastal or a, a clash of the of the coast <laughs> here. So uh, Alden is eating ice cream from the Annapolis Ice Cream Company, and I'm eating from Rory's Artisanal Creamery, which is a, about a hundred miles north of here in Southern California in Carpentria. All right, here we go. Nice. All right. Mmm. Delicious. I'm wow, perfect mine's... now for eating. Very minty. I'm <laughs> so Alden, first of all, do you eat much ice cream? I eat some, but I, I'm not like an ice cream fanatic. Okay. It, however, was like in our family, the thing that sort of treat in COVID. So there became too much ice cream at one point. <laughs> at one point, there were six pints in our freezer. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? Um, but, you know, on a hot summer day, nothing better than an ice cream. Mm. Has anybody incorporated ice cream into their sacred space? Have you seen anything around mm. that? Not directly, but some of the programmatic elements have had sort of snow cone type things. So other mm. frozen desserts, but not that I know of, but it's very possible. We don't know about all of the activities that happen all year long. We know about most of them, but you know, it's very possible. Very possible. It's likely that someone has had an ice cream cone in. In our, oh, for more sure. Than one. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So the other part of this, what's the scoop is what we call this part of the episode. And it's, okay, plan words with the ice cream. So what's the scoop on how you came to care? Your Mm. origin story around having this outward looking perspective, how seeing an imbalance and wanting to address it, feeling like you have some, you know, combination of responsibility and desire to be having impact on things outside your immediate self, immediate family, the broader world. Well, I mean, if you go deep into the recesses, what I first remember, so I I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay or around the Chesapeake Bay here on the East Coast. And the Chesapeake Bay is a totally unusual estuary and a gem and a hugely important piece of our local environment and our national and global environment. And when I was a kid and I don't remember exactly what grade. I feel like it was third or fourth grade. We went out on the Bay one day through another amazing organization, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And I learned all about the environment and what it was like and how you could see or not see how Mm. far into the water and how that dealt with nitrates and all kinds of stuff. And that was when I was first exposed to recycling. Mm. And I came home and just demanded that we started a recycling program. I'm dating myself now, but this was in the early 80s. So the recycling programs were just getting started. And my parents were like, what is happening? But we're wonderful and supportive. And we started a recycling program and that was my responsibility. And I made sure the bins you know, were separated and went out appropriately and all that good stuff. And so that was when I said, mm, we got, we have to take care of this place that we're around and from which we benefit because we like to be out on it because people fish and eat that because people's livelihoods. I mean, it's the full circle, right? 
So that's sort of the original origin story. But, you know, I think it has evolved over time. I was asked to join the board of this organization about 25. And it was when I was really sort of doing the upstart of my career. And I kind of felt like it was a way for me to stay connected to the family when I lived 3,000 miles away out in Los Angeles. But every time I went to the board meetings and would meet the potential users, the people who were wanting to create these sacred places, I was given more than I could have possibly given because I saw a different slice of humanity and of life. And it pretty much took me to tears every time because, you know, it was people dealing with cancer, torture victims, you know, we put in a sacred place associated with that. Um, People who were schools, you know, University of Maryland after, you know, a couple of different crises. So just really the the cuts that happen in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And yet I've come around to that the cuts are the places where the light comes in. I think Rumi mm-hmm. said something like that, but like, and so being a part of the light, like being a part of bringing, you know, a lightness, a hope, a new day and a tiny, tiny little part, but something like being on the right side of that ledger became a passion and a part of my fundamental makeup. And that was, that was just an evolving process. And then I had the great fortune of working at a company called Participant Media that makes entertainment that inspires and compels social change. Still got the line down. And they made movies (laughs) like An Inconvenient Truth and Spotlight and Food Inc. and others. And so my job was in the impact department and really leading a lot of that effort. And so every day, I mean, I remember my days, it was like from nine to 10, I would talk about hunger in America and 10 to 11, I would talk about recidivism and 11 to 12 was, Mm -hmm. you know, the cove and the dolphin situation in Japan. And it just went on like that. And that was my day on Monday through Friday. I mean, it really didn't let up. And so saw a whole lot of the the various challenges that we as humans face and that we need to tackle in a variety of different ways. And there's a lot of levers that we have to pull on, but pulling on them together is the, the best way to actually achieve meaningful change, whether it's behavior or social or policy change. And so pulling all of those things together is where my why started to then turn into like, this is what I want to be doing full-time and, and through a variety of other sort of universe talking situations, I I found myself here doing this. And because I, and this was before, you know, 2020, I, I really felt like what had started out as an experiment that my parents had started is in the early stages of true movement building. And, you know, when they were talking about open spaces and green spaces and sacred places and nature 25 plus years ago, people were kind of like, you're a little on the fringe. (laughs) And now there's just a huge body of research that we actually worked on a little bit in 2012 and have continued to support in, in different ways. But now there's just a huge body of research that talks about 
how the impact of this nature can be incredibly helpful for us with our mental health, with our physical right. health, and with our community resilience. That's a very long-winded story for, you know, but it, no, it's perfect. Sort of- I mean, origin stories, I, I think, you know, should, should be lengthy, right? <laughs> it's a pretty big question. Where did it all come from? I love what you're saying just there about how you were out ahead of it and, or your folks were, and then kind of the, one of the, I think silver linings of this last three years is many longstanding problems that people really close to specific issues knew about all along. Others are now taking a look and being informed and being interested. And, you know, the play research, similarly, Dr. Brown started it in the sixties and it has really, he's still the foremost, but the same exact thing, the research continues to deepen and it continues to show that play is not just a way to take a break, but play is a way to become a better thinker, doer, solver, team member, et cetera, like essential. And if you think about back to, we were talking about kids having unstructured play, when kids had to make up the rules themselves for the games they played out in the street, he talks about how that taught them something so valuable. Of course, that makes sense. But when they're just going to the to the organized game where the grownups have made the rules, something is lost there. Although, as we as I was also saying, and he pointed out, when they're goofing around and they've come up with some game, you know, in the dugout, um, our kids will still find that way, and I think humans will still find that way to put their thumbprint on a situation. And if they've got play, if they've got nature, if they got space. And some of these intractable problems, seemingly intractable that we're working on, that all of these change makers that you and I know that are on the podcast that listen, again, that ultimate thing of like not trying the same thing again and again. And if we get outside and we get engaged in some play, the the spark that's going to happen in terms of finding new solutions, I think, is is closer at hand. And that's our hope. I think that's really critical. And back to, I guess, how I started talking about how I have a tendency to take myself a little seriously and trying so much to to bring in more play in different ways. Our team at Nature Sacred is trying something new this year. We did it differently last year, but we're adjusting and optimizing because we're a learning-based organization and we're always adjusting and optimizing for new things. But we are doing something called Sacred Days. We are called Nature Sacred after all. And so once a quarter, we're taking a day where we as a team together do something that is connected to our work, that is not our typical daily routine and meetings and all that, but that could be an eye-opening experience and or create a different type of conversation. That's what happens, right? So our neural path, we get into a meeting, Monday morning staff, and your neural pathways do this one thing. But if you start to play and or go outside or even better, do both, it can change those pathways and then reframe conversations, solutions-based thinking, all of that. Anyway, we did a sacred day yesterday and we ended the day with doing a little game and doing a little game that was inspired by another amazing person who perhaps you'll talk to, Joy Keebler, who does place. Mm. And it's sort of play-based work because it does really reframe that. And that was, I think, an exciting thing. And really the conversation did change fundamentally yesterday with the with the team. So I'm excited about how that can unearth it and how we can just try new things for figuring out how to do it all better. Because what we're doing right now as a as a 
overall society, we're needing to take the best of that forward and leave the things that don't serve us anymore. Love it. All right. So we are wrapping up and I want to wrap up by asking you to share with the audience how they can get involved, find out more, or what action would you encourage anyone to take who has been inspired by this and wants to contribute? Oh, great. Well, the best thing to do is go to our website, naturesacred.org. Start there. We have different ways you can participate if you think you're a fire soul or a community leader and want to have a project or want to be a part of that. You can reach out to us specifically and contact us and we can talk about either pairing you with a place that has already raised their hand or help you along that journey and give you some great advice and sign up for also newsletters and cool things. We do monthly digital care packages, which you receive, I know. These care packages of different ways to, to connect with nature, whether it's you know online or hopefully outside. And um, yeah, I mean, if you'll, if you'll indulge me, I'd love to end with one of our journal entries. It's hard to pick one. I'm going to pick two. I'm just going to, sorry, use privilege. One of them is from Leon Wolf Park, 4th Street Park here in Annapolis. And because this feels on point for you and what you're doing with Impactful and in the world and what we're all doing, right? Is my beautiful blonde three-year-old wants to try. As always, I love it. He will be so blessed indeed if he makes this concept life's mantra. When did we all forget the profound importance of such a simple idea? So try. Um, Try. Yeah, which feels right. That's the profoundly simple as a child. So bringing that childlikeness in us, if that's a word, forward in our world and and that playfulness, because then you never know what that'll unlock. And to your point, you're trying something new with ice cream. So I'm going to end with this one. This is from the Naval Cemetery Landscape in Brooklyn. This is on page 133. Eat ice cream in moderation, <laughs> but do eat ice cream. It's got a cute little oh image along goodness, with it. I love that wisdom. Cream. It has the carton. Yeah. It has the spoon. It has a tree. Yep. Be good to yourself. The rest will follow, it also says. It does. You're right. Oh my God, I can't believe ice cream made the book. The ice cream made the book. Yes. I mean, this is part of the play, right? So, and people can find that on our website or at benchtalkbooks.com. So really excited to be here and that you're doing the work you're doing. And the world really is full of change makers waiting to be unlocked. And so I really believe that. And that's what we've seen certainly over the last 25 plus years across the country and are excited for more. Oh, thank you so much for all your work. And thank you for the time today speaking with me about it and everyone getting to hear about it. Everyone go find a bench, go find a tree and grab your ice cream. Thanks, all. Grab your ice cream. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Stay tuned for Double Scoop, two delicious insights from today's episode. Okay, folks, today's Double Scoop for the conversation with Alden Stoner from Nature Sacred Oh man, I feel like it's a whole ice cream store full of scoops, but the two that I am going to share with you, one has to do with the conversation or the part of the conversation we had about play and unstructured play and how we've sort of lost that. Kids today don't have that many opportunities or it's not as common for them to be just using their imagination, be roaming freely, 
you know, and I'm, I'll tell you, you know, if you're of a certain age, you definitely, when you were growing up, were out on the street and out in the, you know, depending where you lived, out in the fields or out playing, just playing. And there weren't memberships and there weren't seasons and there weren't carpools to take you there. You just were outside playing and kids, all of us, we figured out the rules to the games that we wanted to play and we had to negotiate and navigate with each other when the, when those rules, you know, when we ran afoul of the rules or someone broke the rules or someone cheated or, or whatever the case might be. And that was really important. Kids need to know how to navigate situations like that when they become adults and they get great practice when they do that as kids. So one of the things these pocket parks and nature spaces that Nature Sacred produces is a place where any of that kind of stuff, places where any of that kind of stuff can happen. Free, you know, the, the places are designed, but then what happens in them is free form. So it's really exciting to think that, that can happen in some of these spaces. That's scoop one. And scoop two, I've just got to give a shout out, you know, that, that Alden's parents started this uh, back in the day. And as she describes it, I think people are like, well, I don't know. It was a little bit of kind of tree huggy kind of earth stuff back in the, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And, and really that, you know, research and movement has caught up with them. And they are now part of the groups that are leading this movement around um, connection to open space and how vital it is. So hats off to mom and dad and to Alden for carrying the work forward. Thanks all of you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. You can find Christine on LinkedIn or learn more about her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com. And you can find all episodes of the Playful Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast content. See you next time.